Uh, so we've been in a series, and the series is called Jesus Is, and really we're just looking at that, who Jesus is, and, and I, I hope that you're enjoying this series uh, as much as we're enjoying preaching it. I, I know, you know, every time we're, we gather together, we, we talk about Jesus, but there's been uh, something real special in this series where the, we've you know, been able to really focus in on Jesus, and I know this week as I was preparing, <clears throat> it was like... It, it was like sitting in my office with Jesus and just throwing questions at him. And uh, so again, I hope you're enjoying it. If you've missed any of the series, um, you can go to vcdc.org and you can listen to a podcast there. If you've got a podcast app, you can download uh, Vineyard Church Delaware County. We also have CDs out on the info counter and we have eight tracks in the garbage bin. So, uh, <laughs> but... Uh, uh, last weekend, Heather did a great job uh, uh, looking at Jesus is the healer, and, and she was focusing in more on the works of Jesus, and today, I want to focus on the words of Jesus, and we're looking at Jesus is the teacher, and probably more than any other title, when people address Jesus, uh, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, we see all these cool stories, when people address Jesus, they would call him rabbi, and that basically means uh, teacher. Jesus was a teacher. He was the greatest teacher. Uh, think back to the first century when Jesus would have taught, um, um, uh, you know, in the, at the time that he lived, that there was no, this is pre-internet. Now, I know you're like, well, duh. And some of you are like, really? There's ever been a time without the internet? But just imagine this world. Imagine the internet's gone. All social media's gone. Some of you, you're already shaking. But imagine, imagine if there, all the books were taken away. Right? That's, that's the world that Jesus taught in, right? I mean, you, you may, if you, depending on the size of the village you lived in, you might have a synagogue, which would you know, think Jewish church. And in that synagogue, there would have been a, a scroll, a Torah. It's the, uh, the first five books of the Old Testament. But Jesus came into a culture that, is an, that, that was an oral culture, where if you're gonna communicate something, if you wanna get something to the masses, it had to be done through words, through, uh, through, through the spoken word. And uh, for the Jewish people, again, you know, living in an oral culture, there was a great dependence on the teachers of the law. You know, these would have been the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees. They were the ones, they were the, the men that stood in a place uh, like mediators between God and his law. You know, these scriptures that he'd given us uh, and, and the common person. And, and their job was really to take the, you know, the, the religious life out of the temple and to bring it to where people live, to bring it to the common, the common person. And they would do that orally. They would do that with words. And so their job was to interpret what these scriptures meant. Like, what does God expect of us? How do we even approach someone like God? Uh, how are we supposed to treat each other? How are we supposed to treat the foreigners among us? So again, the teachers of the law were, were mediators, interpreters of the scriptures. Um, and, the, and this is really is, is one of the primary reasons why Jesus came to earth not only doing miracles, but he also came teaching. And, and, and it, was, it, was, it was for this point that the teachers of the law were not representing God accurately. Uh, uh, you know, the law was meant to function like a guardrail to keep people on the path of God. 
And what was happening was the, the guardrail was becoming, was becoming the path. And so Jesus came to earth teaching, no, 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 wait a minute. The way of God is not to load people up, not to crush people under burdens. The heart of God is to lift people up, you know, to, to bring life to people. And, and here, here's, you know, here's a picture of, of what I'm talking about. Uh, many years ago, I used to work for a company that was, it was like an AEP, an, an electric company. And, and my job was, I oversaw our meter readers, right? The people that go out and uh, you may or may not see them, but they whip through your yards. Uh, um, <laughs> but they... Uh, uh, they read the gas and electric meters at your home. And so they, you know, every day I would send out 20, between 20 and 30 meter readers. They would go out and read like thousands of meters, you know, the group. And they'd come back at the end of the day and they'd carry these little handheld computers. And they'd stick them into this rack they click them in, and then my job was to make sure to, to uh, go in there, take all the readings out, send it off to billing, and then I would load all these little handheld computers up with the next day's work. And we had recently uh, switched to a whole new operating system that was supposed to make our lives way easier. It was supposed to be way more you know, uh, uh, streamlined and productive, and it, just, it did just the opposite. Things kept breaking down, and I couldn't figure it out. Uh, my managers couldn't figure it out. I remember we, in those days, we even had an IT guy. I'm not sure what he did, but, but he seemed to be busy. But he came in, and he couldn't figure it out. And what it took was, in the end, the actual person who wrote the program, this new system, came to our office, sat down with us, went through us, showed us where we'd, we'd you know, gotten off base, showed us what we'd done wrong, and then got the thing up and running. And in, in the end, it was way better than it was before. Well, that's really a picture of, of what I'm talking about with Jesus who's come to earth and he's come to teach us, right? The one who not only has written the system, but he's the one who, who is uh, the system. He has come to teach us, to correct our understanding of who God is and, and uh, just how he wants us, how God wants us to live our lives. So let's pray, and then we'll look more at Jesus, uh, Jesus the teacher. Let's pray. But Lord, I, uh, I thank you for each one here. I thank you. Um, you know, as we're singing those songs, I thank you so much for your presence. Lord, that, that I pray that you would not let today just be some religious exercise but I pray that today would be a face-to-face -face encounter with you. Lord, so you know us, you know what's going on, you know how we're distracted. I pray, Jesus, that you would uh, you'd just uh, walk among us today and just come and teach us. Lord, way beyond my words, I pray that you would come close and teach us. So we welcome you here in Jesus' name, amen. All right. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to uh, the book of Matthew. We're going to be jumping around Matthew uh, or, or, you know, your, on your smartphone or whatever. Uh, we have Bibles at the front and the back. Uh, and like I said, we'll be in Matthew. All the scriptures will be on the screens. And uh, um, um, one of the first, the very first sermon that Jesus gave, the very first teaching that Jesus gave is in the book of Matthew. It's Matthew 5, chapter 5 uh, through to chapter 7. And... Uh, we're not going to look a lot at that because in the summer we're going to be doing a whole series on uh, the Sermon on the Mount. But what I want to start off with is looking at the people's response to this first teaching that Jesus gave. And so Matthew 7:28 says this: 
When Jesus had finished saying these things, he's finished teaching the Sermon on the Mount, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority, quite unlike their teachers of religious law. Stop there. So that's not bad. That's not bad for your first time at the, you know, at the, at the preaching plate. Uh, Jesus knocks it out of the park. In fact, that, that ball is still in the air. Um, but what was it about his teaching? What was it about the teaching that Jesus gave that so amazed the people? Right? What was it that amazed them? I mean, what does it say? It was, it was his authority. He taught with real authority. And the New Testament was originally written in Greek. And the word that's used for authority is this word, you'll see it up there in a sec, is it's exousia, and it means power to act. And we're gonna talk about that a little bit later. But in being amazed, we see the people making this comparison between Jesus and the teachers of the law. And basically, they hear him teach and they go, wow, Jesus, you have an authority that these guys don't have. And I'm sure, the, I'm sure the other teachers really enjoyed hearing about that comparison. Uh, as the story unfolds, we realize that he did not, Jesus did not make a lot of friends uh, with those guys. But, but what did the people mean by recognizing the unique authority of Jesus? I mean, what were they getting at? I mean, was it that, you know, when Jesus taught, he had a Morgan Freeman-like voice? I mean, like, now that's authority. I would love to have that kind of voice. I mean, you could get up and read the phone book and people would be like, that's the most awesome sermon I've ever, I've ever heard. I mean, was it, was it that he was so eloquent? I mean, did Jesus use like, you know, five syllable words? I mean, what was it? Why did they make such a big deal about his authority? Well, to answer that question, it's important to know how someone became a teacher. How was it that someone became a rabbi? And in the, in the first century Jewish culture, uh, little Jewish boys and girls would go to school and, and their education was very much tied into their faith. And so when a little boy or girl, age four or five, would go off to school, uh, they would learn how to read, they'd learn how to write by studying the Torah. Again, it's the first five books of the Old Testament. And they would study that for seven or eight years. And it was interesting, one of the documents I read said many children would memorize the entire first five books of the Bible. It shows the, one of the strengths of an oral culture. But they would be in school for seven or eight years. Girls would go till they were 12, and then like the, uh, a bat mitzvah. A young girl at age 12 would leave school. Her education at the school would be over. She'd go home, start helping the family out. And then the boys would go till age 13, bar mitzvah. And when they were done, most of them would now leave school and uh, uh, they'd go and start learning a trade. But the better students, the better uh, male students, the young boys, would, would stay and continue their studies. And they'd be taught by a local rabbi, and they'd start going deeper into the Torah. They'd start you know, studying deeper into the, 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 the writings of the, of the prophets with the chance, with the possibility that they might one day become a teacher themselves. But that wouldn't be, if it did happen, it wouldn't be till they were 30 years old. And that's a lot of, that's a lot of going to school if you thought four years was a lot. But, uh, but from, the, from that group, the best of the best, the cream of the crop, would seek out and ask to follow a senior rabbi, to be you know, his disciple, to follow him. And here's where the, the authority comes in. You know, most teachers of the law that would have been around, in teaching the people and interpreting the scriptures, they would merely quote other rabbis. 
They wouldn't teach you know, new interpretations of the scriptures. And well, why wouldn't they do that? Well, that's because they weren't given the authority. They didn't have the authority to do that. Uh, that was only for the cream of the crop. That was only for those, those younger students that had been recognized, that really had been ordained, had been given the authority by the senior rabbis to present new interpretations of the scriptures, of the, of the word of God. So when the, when the crowd listened to Jesus, and it says they were amazed at his authority, basically what they're saying is, wow, this Jesus guy. I mean, we, we haven't heard the scriptures interpreted like this. This is a new teaching. What is this? And, and it's one of the reasons why in the life of Jesus that the religious authorities would, would say to him, Something like this, Matthew 21, 23. Jesus entered the temple courts and while he was teaching, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him uh, and they said, by what authority are you doing these things, they asked. And who gave you this authority? See, they, they saw Jesus as like this young whippersnapper rabbi. And what I mean is, remember, uh, you couldn't be sort of blessed to be a teacher until you were 30 years old. Well, if you're familiar with the story, how old was Jesus when he started his ministry? He was 30 years old. Like, wow, what a coincidence. But so basically, they're looking at Jesus, this new rabbi on the circuit, this new teacher on the circuit, and they're saying, hey, hey, you know, they're listening to what he's saying, and they're going, wait a minute here. I mean, what rabbi were you trained under? What rabbi, what senior rabbi gave you the authority, ordained you, gave you the authority to handle the word of God the way you do? The way you do? And so how would, how would Jesus have answered those questions? Well, you know, who am I? Who am I to say what I'm saying? Who's, you know, who is it that's given me the authority you know, to, to interpret the scriptures this way? Now, uh, in, in answering those questions, didn't, Jesus didn't use these exact words, but, but look at this. John 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Verse, jump down to 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. Now, you try to picture what I just read. Right? What that's saying is, like, you know when you read a book, uh, let's just say you're reading Lord of the Rings. Uh, uh, you're reading this book. Isn't there something wonderful when you're reading a really good book, when they have really strong characters, when you start to realize, you know what, I'm not really reading this book. It's like all the, vo- all the characters have taken on voices, and it's, it's like they're reading the book to me. Have you ever experienced that? Right? Have you ever read a book? Right? But that's, everyone's just staring up at me. You know, a book, right? But, but so, and now as cool as that is, as cool as that is, can you imagine reading a book and say, like, you know, the character, like you're into this book and all of a sudden those characters step out of the book and they're standing in your living room like, oh, hello, Frodo. I mean, how awesome would that be? Right now you would really understand the book. Well, that is exactly, that is exactly what, what this, those verses are saying. Jesus is the word who's become flesh. And really in answering the question like who, you know, or who gives you the authority or, or you, know, you know, who are you to say what you say? Could you imagine Jesus saying, he didn't, you know, he didn't use these exact words, but you could you imagine his answer being, well, uh, well, let me start here, you guys. Like, first of all, this word that you're trying to interpret it's me. 
Like, standing before you is the interpretation of the scriptures. I mean, like, do you really want to understand what God is saying? Look at me. Listen to me. And, and that angered the teachers, you know, these guys, because they're like, they're like, you know, for Jesus to say that the, you know, the scriptures, that the scriptures were pointing to him, like the audacity to say that. But, you know, we need to remember that in reading the Bible, really one of the primary purposes of, of the Bible is to be a signpost. It's to point us to Jesus. And where the teachers of the law were getting off track is they had embraced the signpost so much that when the one the sign was pointing to was standing right in front of them, they, they couldn't see him. They couldn't see him. And then, and then in answering, you know, if, they, if they weren't upset by the, the first answer from Jesus and answering the question of where did your authority come from, this put them over the top. Right? When I talk about Jesus teaching with authority, he said, oh yeah, where does my authority come from? Who gave me, who ordained me to, to interpret the scriptures the way I do? Well, my dad did. And they were like, tilt, how dare you? Because he was, by, in saying that his father, God, you know, had given him the authority, he was claiming to be the son of God. And so when we look at Jesus, and when we look at Jesus as the teacher, it's important to realize that Jesus taught with authority because Jesus is, was, is the ultimate authority. Okay, we're gonna circle back to that in a little bit, but we're gonna keep going. So Jesus taught with authority. Number two, Jesus taught creatively. And here's what I mean by that. Jesus was not, <clears throat> was not a boring teacher. I mean, uh, if you're in school right now or if school is you know, sort of in the rearview mirror, think, think about school, think back to school, think back to those teachers. Remember before the year would start and you, know, and you went to go see the list of what classes you were in and stuff? I can remember thinking, oh, I sure hope. I remember a teacher in our high school, I sure hope I get Mr. Colpitz because he, everyone was like, he's cool. He's a great teacher, right? And then you'd be like, oh, and I hope I don't get Mr. Pinch. And that really was his name, Mr. Pinch. And I could, I could tell many stories about him. But, uh, uh, but you remember that, right? There's certain teachers that just you, could, you just connected with. I remember going through VLI, uh, Vineyard Leadership Institute. It's called VI now, Vineyard Institute. And basically, it's like the Vineyard Seminary, if you will. It's a two-year course. And I remember there were some of those teachers who, it was a two-hour class, and sometimes it would be even longer. And there were some teachers where it felt like those two hours just went like that. It was so, you're so engaged, and, and just the way the person taught, you're like, oh man, I am so tracking with you. But then I also remember some teachers where you're sitting there, oh, and you're, you know, you're talking about some deep theology, and they're droning on, and you're like, man, I bet we've been here like an hour, and you look at your watch, it's like three minutes, and you're like, oh, this is going to be a long class. Well, that was not Jesus. Jesus would have been an awesome teacher. Because he was very creative. He used all kinds of different methods and styles of teaching. And so what I want to look at briefly is, in this second point, is I want to look at three of, the, of the, the teaching styles of Jesus. So the first one is this. It's course correction. Course correction. And, you know, I mentioned this earlier. The teachers of the law were not doing an, a, a good job of interpreting the scriptures accurately. And so a lot of the teachings of Jesus, if you read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, a lot of the teachings were course corrections. Uh, the Sermon on the Mount, I, I went through it a couple times to make sure, and I think I'm right. Six times in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, as he's teaching, he says this. Now you've heard it said... Right? Or you've heard it uh, taught. Or you've heard the scriptures interpreted. 
And then he would follow that by saying, but I say, but, but I teach, but I interpret the scriptures this way. Here's an example, Matthew 5, 27. Jesus said, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you, that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully or at a man lustfully has already committed adultery with her, with him, in his or her heart. See, so much of what we're gonna see when we do go into the Sermon on the Series, Sermon on the Mount series, we're gonna see Jesus doing a lot of course correction. He's gonna be saying to the people, look, it's not enough to just know the rules. It's not enough to just be able to quote the rules. Those rules need to get from your, your head. They need to get into your heart. They need to get into your soul. They need to change the, who you are. They need to change the way you live. They need to, you know, they're, they're there for course correction. You're off base. No, no, no. This is what God means in saying da, 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 da. So the first teaching style is course correction, uh, numero dos. The second style were, were uh, parables. And this is one, uh, I think, I know it's my favorite. And a parable is basically a story. And uh, another definition would be uh, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And these would be short, sometimes a little longer, but short stories, made up stories, stories that Jesus would have made up uh, to illustrate many things, to illustrate our hearts. In so many of the parables, it's like Jesus is holding a mirror up to us and saying, take a look at yourself in this mirror. Uh, the purpose of, of many parables were to, were to illustrate God's heart towards us, to illustrate the ways of, of the kingdom of God. And parables were so effective and so uh, 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 easy to remember because basically they painted a picture. They, you know, they painted this picture, and, and you know it yourself. I mean, it, it, stories stick. They stick way more, and Jesus was a master as he went about, you know, the disciples, they're traveling all over the place. He, he was a master of, in a situation, you know, seeing something and using props. Like, he's, you know, he's standing there, there's a bag of seeds, or there's a bunch of sheep, or, or you know, there's a vineyard right there. Jesus was a master of seeing that and then, and then basically making up a story to illustrate his point. So one of those times is Matthew 19, there's a story of a rich young man, and he comes to Jesus asking, and basically asking Jesus, hey, Rabbi, Rabbi, what do I need to do to earn eternal life? And Jesus, you know, they have this, this conversation, Jesus asks him some questions, and he, he answers, this young guy answers him, and then Jesus really gets to the heart of the issue, and, and in the text, it actually says that Jesus looked at him and loved him, which I think is so cool, uh, and, and what he says to this young man, he says, okay, here's what you need to do, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor, then come follow me, and in the story, it's like, conversation's over. This young guy turns around and he says that he sadly walks away. He walks away because he doesn't want to part with his wealth. He didn't want to part with the thing that gave him security, the thing that he was you know, banking on more than anything else. And so as that young guy's walking away, Jesus is standing there and all the disciples are around him and Jesus is like, okay, how do I drive this home? 
How do I illustrate what just happened in this interaction? How do I, you know, what can I do to help these guys grasp it? And just as Jesus is thinking that, he looks over and here comes a big old camel. You know, whatever a, a camel, that sounds like a sick moose, but whatever a, whatever a camel sounds like, actually, it's pretty accurate. But so the camel comes walking up and Jesus goes, okay, that's it. And he goes, hey, you guys, you guys, listen to this. See that big old camel right there? It's easier for that camel to fit through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich person to lay down all that they have and come follow me. And he says that, and, and the disciples are hearing that, they're looking at the camel, and they go, well, Jesus, that, that would be impossible. And Jesus says, bingo, you got it. For man, for us as people, it's impossible on our own to surrender ourselves fully to God. But then the next verse says, but with God it is possible. God is actually able to work in not just a rich person's life, in any person's life. God is able to bring each one of us to a place of gladly, willingly laying down our lives and saying, I wanna follow you no matter what no matter what the cost. So that's, there's a parable. Parables, Jesus was a master, you know, using things to illustrate his point. Ooh, I gotta keep going. Then, then number three is field trips. Uh, all through the gospel, we see Jesus taking the disciples on field trips. And what I mean is taking them into situations where, you know, <laughs> something happens, uh, and, and it creates an opportunity for him to teach the disciples something about himself, something about what the kingdom of God is like. And so, you know, we see Jesus, we see them always go in different places. He takes them into Samaria, which was, a, you know, a part of the Middle East where Jews, like Jews and Samaritans, they don't mix. And Jesus goes, hey, come on, follow me. And they're going into Samaria, and the disciples are like, yeah, we're not supposed to be on this side of the tracks. And he goes, oh, I've got someone you need to meet, a Samaritan woman. It's like, you know, I mean, that is a crazy field trip for them. It's like two strikes. Uh, Jesus once took them to a, a, across the lake to meet a crazy demonized man. Jesus was always taking the disciples into different situations on field trips to teach them something about himself. And, you know, two weeks ago, I talked about one of those field trips. Remember when, uh, in the story where Jesus, he just fed the 5,000? If you were here a couple weeks ago, you might remember me saying that. And Jesus, when that was over, he basically sent the disciples on a field trip. And he said, hey, I'll, I'll finish off here. Um, you guys get in the boat and just head to the other side. And I'll meet up with you later. And again, the story goes, as they head out onto the lake, a storm comes up and they're afraid and they're you know, fighting the storm. And then Jesus walks out on the water to them, adds to their fear and, uh, for a bit. And, and then you know, Peter comes out, et cetera, et cetera. And here's how that field trip wraps up. Matthew 14, 32 says, and when they climbed into the boat, Jesus and Peter, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshiped him saying, truly, you are the son of God. So where I'm going with this is that field trip that Jesus sent them on, took them on, he used that to teach them something about himself. That was a scary field trip for them. But in that situation, Jesus was able to show his disciples that I really am who I say that I am. Because look at that, I just, I just walked on water. And I just told, you know, I just calmed a storm. And, and it was through that situation 
again, through that field trip, that he was able to, again, teach them, teach them more about himself. So Jesus was a very creative teacher, but here's what I want to end this section off with. Jesus was a very creative teacher, but Jesus still is a very creative teacher. These methods and many, many more, Jesus continues to use these in our lives to teach us more about himself. The first one, course correction. Listen to this. Hebrews 4.12 says, for the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our inmost thoughts and desires. The word of God, the Bible, is unlike any other book. And so uh, as we've gathered together today, and I'm t- saying all these things, talking about Jesus, we're, you know, we're, we're basically you know, looking at stories in this book. My confidence is not in my ability to speak. My confidence is in this book that's alive, right? The word become flesh. I'm confident that as I'm speaking, Jesus is at work in this room. And there's course correcting going on. He's, he's saying, you know, did you hear that? Did you hear that? Yeah, you know, this is, where, this is where you're missing it there. And he's teaching us. So when you gather together, if you're in a small group and we gather around the Bible, there's an opportunity to learn. When you read the Bible on your own, right? I remember my dad used to say, it's the only book you can sit down and read where the author sits with you and teaches you and points out, you see? Do you see that? So no, you you don't need to worry. Course correction. You don't need to be afraid. Course correction. Uh, Field, or sorry, parables. God Again, as a master, as you go about your day of, of using props in our lives, like you'll see something and he'll go, do you see that? Bing, 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 and he'll illustrate something in your life. He'll illustrate something about himself. I'm sure you've experienced something like this. I, I remember years ago, um, I was visiting my, my oldest brother, and he is like a super avid cyclist. And so he said, hey, let's go bike riding. I'm like, okay. So we, we went cycling. We went on a long ride. It was like an, uh, probably a mile, but it was... Uh, no, actually, it was, it was way longer than that. Uh, um, but we're, we're going along, and, we're going, and, and I'm working hard to keep up with them. But, uh, but as we were riding, we're having a talk, and I started to unload a bit. And what I mean is this. I started to share a story about, a, this was back in Canada, so about a guy in our church who had really burned me, who'd really hurt me. And, and I was sharing it, really gossiping, and just unloading some yuck, because this is something I'd carried around for a long time, and it was getting a little stinky. And so we're riding bikes, and we, we come up over a rise. And as we come over this rise, I look over in a farmer's field, and I see two calves in the field. And one calf is walking along, headed towards the barn, and then the second calf was trying to follow that calf, but its hind legs were caught up in a spool of wire in the field, and it was stuck. You know, when we're riding bikes, and as soon as I looked at that, God said to me, you are that second calf unless you will forgive your friend. And it was like this, it was, just, it was, a, it was a living parable where God, in just this picture, and using the prop of those calves, he totally exposed my heart. And he, and, he, and he totally exposed his heart. My intent for you is to forgive your friend so that you can be freed up to be that first calf. Like, have you ever experienced anything like that? Where God points something out as you go about your day? That's a, that is a living parable. Uh, field trips. I'm convinced that our whole time on earth is one long field trip. Sometimes there's great, uh, great snacks. But, but, 
But what I want to focus in on this part is that there are times as we go about our lives where God allows situations just like the disciples, scary situations, confusing situations, hard situations, field trips, where, where God literally has the goal in, on that field trip to, to teach us something new about himself. And what I love about that, you know, the, the teaching style of field trips is that it, what's so cool about it is that it puts value on all the struggles of life. It puts value on the hard times. And, you know, so whether it's your health or, or finances or business or struggling in your marriage or, or just family, you know, relationships, just all the stuff of life, the failures when things break down and, like, it puts value on things because God is a God who doesn't waste anything. And he's able to use those things, those situations, those field trips to create opportunities for us to grow, to teach us, for us to learn. Listen to this quote. The most difficult time in your life may be the border to your promised land. See, what, uh, what, one of the things that God is teaching all of us, if you're on one of those hard field trips right now, there's lots of things he's teaching us, but one of the things that we, it always comes up, one of the things that God is trying to teach us on those field trips in those hard times is he's teaching us not to pray this prayer, oh God, get me out of this situation, right? What he's teaching us to pray instead is, oh God, please show me where you are in this situation. Because, you know, I challenge you, go read through the, you know, go look at all the field trips that the disciples went on. The thing that made the difference in all those field trips, it wasn't uh, all their answers being questioned. It wasn't everything working out right, everything being smoothed over and, and fixed. The thing that made the difference in all those field trips was the presence of Jesus. It was his presence. And I know today, I know that many of you are in hard places, hard situations. And I want to encourage you, and it may not seem encouraging at first, but really it is the most encouraging thing. I want to encourage you that what God is trying to teach you, one of the things, is to teach you, he wants to teach you, help you see him in that situation. He wants to teach you, help you to trust him in the midst of that struggle and on that hard field trip. So, Jesus taught with authority. Jesus taught creatively. And number three, Jesus taught with a clear goal. Uh, remember back in the first point when I talked about rabbis and how younger rabbis would seek out and ask to follow uh, older rabbis, more senior rabbis? Why don't we put that, that picture up? Uh, this is a picture of a yoke. And, and I love when we talk about yokes to put a picture up because we just, this is like a foreign thing to us. We don't, you know, uh, it's like a foreign concept unless you're in 4-H. But, uh, okay, but uh, um, think about this. Picture this when you, when, and let me say this. So when a young rabbi would go to an older rabbi and say, I want to follow you, what he was saying is, I want to be yoked to you, right? And, and, and really what he was saying is, I want to be yoked to your interpretation of the law. That's what, he was, that's what he was saying. But again, this is one of the reasons why Jesus came teaching all this course correction, because the teachers of the law were not representing God 
accurately. This is what Jesus said about the teachers of the law. Matthew 23, 4 says, they tie up, the teachers of the law tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. And Jesus was saying, and again, picture that yoke, right? Jesus was saying to the interpreters of the law, saying, no, 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 no. This, what you guys are saying is wrong. What you guys are saying is inaccurate. What, you, uh, you, what you're saying is not good news, right? Because what you're saying to the people is your standing with God is based on your performance. Well, that's not good news, is it? I mean, God gave us 10 commandments. The teachers of the law over the years compiled a list of over 640 rules on how to walk out those 10 commandments. I mean, you think you have anxiety. I can't, I mean, read that. It's called the Midrash. It sounds funny, but, but read that. It, it's just mind-blowing, the different rules. And Jesus taught with the goal of taking this burden off of the people. So again, keep that picture of a yoke in your mind. Listen what Jesus says. Here's his teaching. Here's his interpretation. Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 says, Then Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. I mean, aren't those words, aren't they just soothing to your heart to hear those words? I mean, what a beautiful picture Jesus paints. Right, he's saying, hey, hey, are you weary? Are you weighed down? Are you burdened? Come to me, come to me. Yoke yourself to me. Yoke yourself to my interpretation of the law. And my, interpret, my interpretation is grace. My interpretation is what gives you right standing with almighty God, what gives you the ability to stand before God today, to stand before God with no shame and with nothing to hide and with no fear, with confidence. It's not, it's not based on your performance. Jesus says it's based on my performance on my perfect performance. So that means that, that, the, that what God is offering to each one of us, it's not something to be earned, Jesus is saying. It's a gift. It's a gift to be received, to, to, to take it and just say thank you. And Jesus taught, Jesus taught with a clear goal of removing the burden, but notice this. He did not teach with the goal of removing the yoke. Because what we don't hear Jesus saying is, oh, come here, little buddy. Ooh, that looks really uncomfortable. Let me, oh, let me take that yoke off you. Now, you just go live your life however you want to live it. You just go do whatever you want to do. Is that what Jesus taught? That's not what, that's not what Jesus taught. He says, let me take the burden of performance off of your back. Now yoke yourself to me. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you how to live your life yoked to me. So what does that look like? What does it look like to, have, uh, to live a life yoked to Jesus? Jesus is basically saying, in being yoked to me in this lifetime, I want to teach you how to follow my teachings. And so here's a great picture of what he's saying. Matthew 7, 24. Jesus says, anyone who listens to my teachings and follows it is wise. Like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against the house, 
It won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. And you know, Jesus, the great teacher, is saying to us, hey, the only way to truly learn from a teacher is not just to hear what they say, but it's to do. It's to do what they say. And think about it. The reward for a teacher isn't just in the teaching. The true reward of teaching is when you see your students getting it. Right? Are you, if you're a teacher here today, is that not true? The, the thing that I, I think puts the wind in the sail of a teacher is when you see your students getting it, doing it. It's the same for a parent. When you see your child doing it, or if you're a babysitter, or if you supervise people, the reward is when you see people getting it. It's, it's you know, you know someone has taken your teaching to heart when you see them doing it, or when at, you at least see them trying, trying to do it. You know, and I, I remember years ago uh, getting some guitar lessons, and um, uh, I remember I'd go to this guy's studio. He, you know, I'd go in. He'd be sitting there with his guitar. He would teach me all these things, scales and different things. And then he would say, so here's your homework. Off you go. So uh, uh, I would never do my homework. I wouldn't practice. And I remember one time coming in to get a lesson, and I walked into his studio, and it, I could tell right away something was up because he was sitting there, and his guitar wasn't out. And so I sat down, and, and you know, he basically said, hey, don't, don't open, don't take your guitar out. And he said sort of these words to me. He said, hey, I'm not going to teach you anymore. Uh, you're not doing anything with what I'm trying to teach you. So you need to decide if you really want to do this. And if you do, if you're ready to be a student, then let me know and we'll continue. And that was it. I grabbed my guitar case and I walked out thinking, <laughs> did I just pay for that? You know, like, but, but now in sharing that today, am I saying that that's, that, like, that's what God is saying to some of us? Well, you know what? I really do. I really do believe that God is saying that to some of us. And what I mean is this. I believe that some of us are at an intersection. And I think life is filled with intersections where we need to make a choice. We need to take, make a choice about who would be students or not. Uh, you know, really, the, one of the reasons why we're doing this series, Jesus Is, is that we really want for all of us to be brought to a place where we honestly answer the question, who do I believe Jesus is? Who do I really believe that Jesus is? Is he just a teacher? Was he just this great person? Or was he, is he the son of God? Right, because you look at, you know, he taught with authority, he taught creatively, I mean, that, that, really doesn't mean very much unless you know, we decide who he is. And what I mean is, the way we answer the question of who is Jesus, the way we answer uh, that question will determine who or what we yoke ourselves to. The way we answer that question will, will determine whether or not in this life he will be our teacher or whether or not we'll be his, his student. So why don't, we, why don't we stand up? Here's how we're gonna end off. I just want to take like a couple minutes and just give some quiet time for all of us. And really give the teacher opportunity to, to uh, come close. And here's what I mean. We're going to quiet ourselves in a, in, a, in a little bit here. And I'm just going to ask you to consider, to prayerfully consider, 
two questions, and they're really they're the same question, but two questions. And that would be, you know, think of your life and then just with God, ask this question, who am I yoked to? Or what am I yoked to? And a similar question would be, who is my teacher? Like who am I, who or what is my teacher? So why don't we quiet ourselves? I would encourage you to close your eyes and uh, if it helps to open your hands, I like to do that because it's like a posture, just saying to God, hey, I'm open, I'm, I wanna, you know, I wanna hear from you. So Lord, I ask that you'd come and, and uh, just be the teacher. Lord, I ask that you would come and uh, remove distractions and just fill this room with you. And I pray that just in your presence right now, that we could you know, imagine ourselves in your presence and just say, okay, looking at your life, who, who or what am I yoked to? What or who in this life? What, what's sort of grabbed me and is pulling me through this life? Am I, am I yoked to, you know, is it the culture? Is it success? Is it just like my own desires? You know, who, who or what is my teacher? Lord, I, I pray that we could just, that you'd come and, and just shine your light in our lives. So let's just, we'll just be quiet for a little bit. Just consider those questions. I just bless all the ways you're coming close. Whether it's through words going flashing across our minds or pictures or feelings. Or teach us how to tune into you. Teach us how to hear your voice. But I just want to, as we end off uh, today, I just want to give the opportunity. I, you know, for some of you, maybe in that little quiet time, God put his finger on something. Something in your life that you're yoked to or that you're, you're a student of, that he's saying, son, daughter, you know what? You don't want to be yoked to that. That's going to do damage in your life. And I, and I want to invite some people uh, uh, in, a, in a sec here, but I want to invite you forward. I think some of you need to confess those things. You just need to come forward and say, God, I've been yoked to this, and I ask you you'd forgive me for that. And, and, and then let someone pray for you because God wants to, he wants to do a course correct in your life. Um, uh, for others, I just had a sense I want to invite forward if you're on a hard field trip right now and you're like, boy, oh boy, I can't see God in this at all. Well, we want to pray for you because he wants to help you see him. I also, you know, that picture of the calf caught up in the wire, I feel like that registered with some people. That, that, you know, I think so much of life, so much of peace or no peace in our lives comes from this thing of forgiveness, of whether we're going to forgive someone or, or, or ask someone's forgiveness. So if that, if that registered with you, I want to invite you forward to, you know, to let God walk you through that. Um, if you, I, you know, I also saw a picture of someone 
if you just find the Bible like dry or confusing, but you know, uh, we want to pray for you that God would, would just awaken, that it would become, you know, that Jesus, the word that's become flesh, this living and active book, we want to pray for you because there's so much that God wants to teach you about himself in this book. And then, and, you know, and finally, if uh, last weekend, if you were here, we prayed for lots of people in every service for healing, physical healing, emotional healing. And I know that God touched a lot of you. And, and if you were healed, uh, could you let us know? Because we want to celebrate those things. But I also want to say, hey, if you're here today sick, you have pain in your body, whether it's chronic or it just started 10 minutes ago, uh, we want to pray for you. So come on up. And again, if you've never prayed with someone, I invite you to come on up. Get involved. Just come on up and join up with someone else. So uh, JT's going to end us off with a song. And, uh, but come on up. Guys, pray for guys. Gals for gals. Let's make sure everyone's prayed for. But then in a little bit, I'll, uh, I'll end off the service. So come on up. <laughs>